Welcome to the Forge America Missional Podcast. My name is Alan Bradford coming to you from Knoxville, Tennessee. And with me as always is Terry Issue in Austin, Texas. How you doing, Terry? I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> it's good. It is uh, the first time we've ever recorded this late at night. It's uh, right. 9 o'clock at night for us. And so here in Tennessee, the cicadas are going crazy. So if you guys hear those in the background, I apologize immensely. But the reason we're recording this late at night is because we're excited to have with us one of our favorite people in the whole world, Alan Hirsch, coming to us live from Melbourne, Australia, and coming to us from the future, man. It's good to have you. Right. Tomorrow happens with us. <laughs> that's great. That's great. At least that. At yeah. least. Yeah. So at least we'll get tomorrow. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Well, if if you don't know Alan Hirsch, I'm going to first uh, kind of question why you're listening to this podcast. But I mean, Al, he is the founder of Forge. So he is, you know, the person that we look up to the most. He is uh, the founder of 100 Movements, 5Q, Future Travelers. He's an author of way too many books to name. I would highly recommend checking out alanhirsch.org and you'll get a lot more about him and his books and what he provides to this movement. But we're excited to have him. And one of the reasons we're excited to have him is because we're continuing this conversation that we're calling Questions the Church Should Be Asking. And we thought, who better to ask than Al? And when this thing first started, this COVID quarantine craziness started, uh, our buddy Roland interviewed Alan and his buddy Mike and kind of started talking about what are the implications of COVID. And so we're excited to come back a year and a half later and say, hey, Al, as we're coming out of COVID or whatever is happening right now, I know you guys are in lockdown again, but what do you feel like should be the questions the church should be asking right now? For one, just let me say it's great to be with you guys. It's uh, my peoples. And um, I do love the name Ishi. I mean, can you imagine having a last name Ishi? Yeah. <laughs> like Alan Ishi. That would be like so cool. Yeah, it could be. could be. Yeah, yeah. But nobody knows where it comes from. That's the trick. That's yeah. right. Where is she from? Ishi? Like yeah. Anyway, totally out of, you know, nothing to do with nothing. You know, what you'll be asking, you know, honestly, so for me, guys, um, <clears throat> the big issue has been, and I, I'm convinced that this is the case, that we've we've experienced what I call a revelatory, uh, a revelatory year. I don't know if you've heard me on this, but I, it's been a big issue for me. So I think for us in general is that it's time, we, it's an apocalyptic time. And apocalyptic means revelation or revealing or unveiling, uh, you pull the curtains back and you get to see what's going on. Actually, and the thing about apocalyptic, and you just look at the book of Revelations as a good example of it, but what you get to see is actually probably that's been going on all along, but you just weren't aware of it. And you become aware of things, frailties, sins very often. Uh, You've got to see God's hand in it. Uh, So that's one thing. And I think that we should be asking the most fundamental question, what is God on? about here the other side of that and it, it, it's related and it, it might be because covid's given me made me into a grumpy you know COVID in the american election has, has made me very very grumpy but i do actually think we're we've been the, the bible uses the words of testing and judgment and, and it begins with the household of god you know and there's a sense where i think you know we we've been judged and for a whole lot of reasons mainly i think a, a lack of jesus like character but but there's a lot of things in the way we do church which i think are being burned up in dross you know so judgment is you know about being tested in the fire things are taken in you know what what's left on the other side is what you know what god wants and god does this with us he prunes another imagery is pruning i think we do have to ask that most fundamental question you know not assuming that it's all about the world out there what is god saying to his church 
and to us personally, but also to us as a as a as a church. I, I love the idea of this being a what do you call it revelatory revelation time, and it really is. I mean, it's 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 taking a look. I think I've heard you use the phrase. It's taking a look under the hood. What's actually happening here? And I love the church leaders who are actually pausing and saying, all right, let's actually use this time to ask that question. What is God doing here? And you could say, well, did God cause this? Is God redeeming this? What is going on? But God's working some way or another, at testing, judging, however it is. So what is it that God is doing here? I guess my question for you, Al, is, I mean, in your in your interactions with church leaders, what are you seeing as an answer to that? What is God doing during this? You know, I wish you could say that I see, I, I, I hang out with the more missional crowd, I guess, and, you know, it self-selects, you know, some people don't want to hang out with me anyway. So, so I get to, I get to hang out with people who actually are seeing it as probably more the opportunity in it, actually. And there's a lot, uh, we, can, we can get to that, but there's a huge amount of opportunity in this thing, you know, and observing generally, you know, I sort of think there's, there's, you know, kind of a yearning for what was before. And I actually do think we need to ask ourselves the questions. Really? Was it that? great what we were doing before that people were bashing the doors down to get in i think you know there, there should be questions asked about the way we were doing church and it was so darn expensive hard to to work you know and focused on on weekend gatherings or mania sunday yeah, very fragile very dependent on professional goods and services you know it just there's so many questions there about the prevailing model that i think is being asked of us are we asking those questions of ourselves too? I think uh, that's what I think we've got to take seriously. Take a look under the hood of the of the church, the inherited idea of church, and then and ask the question of it: Is it being faithful to what God intended in starting the Jesus movement off in the first place? Can we do it better? At the disruptive moment, can what can we learn from this about ourselves, and how can we do this better? And I think that's a great opportunity, as as well as a challenge. Yeah, one of the things that Forge is always big about is obviously the idea of context, and the church needs to be incredibly contextual. And I heard you just recently with another group talk about the idea of uh, non-adaptive ecclesiology, and that's one of the things that we're perfectly designed towards. Yeah, because the church has to look. Could you could you uh, unpack that metaphor again? Like, oh, I think the idea was if we were zapped to to uh, two hundred A.D. And, you know, we had to kind of right. explore around and be like, hey, the metrics we have for church here, would they actually hold up there? Could you kind of unpack that? Yeah, so the, the non-adaptive thing. Um, yeah, so I, I would say, like, we, you know, the thing I, I think I think I know which talk you're saying, you're talking about, where I, I talk about that it, the assumption is we're perfectly designed to achieve what we're currently achieving. If, for instance, we are wanting to produce V8 engines, but light bulbs are popping out the other side of the, of the you know, you have to ask questions about that, right? Say, what the heck's going on here? And so, you know, so look into the system. And one of the things is, you know, our ecclesiology, our understanding of the church, our paradigm, if you will, the mental model we, we have of it, and the expression that we generally, in the States particularly, have very clear, we think we're very clear about what it, what it looks like. A church always looks like, X, you know, and so yeah, the, the the play the game is a mental thing is that we can we can beam you back to the second or third century, and using as you said now the metrics, using the, the the current kind of profile of what we think a church is, go and look at what God is doing with using that profile, and you realize actually you'll come back, <laughs> we'll beam you back, get you back in time. 
and say, well, what's happening now? Then you say, no, nothing, nothing's happening at all. And you'll be very wrong. It's just that we, we don't know what we're looking at. And this is this notion called inattentional blindness, is that we often are not, a, we, we're so familiar with something, we think we know what it is, or we don't have categories for it. So you know, another story on this, and I think I told this in that, also that context where a Ghanaian pastor in, in England, and there's, in England, there's very big churches, African immigrant churches, they're the biggest churches in that context. This guy was saying all his friends were complaining about the church is closing, the church is closing under COVID, you know, the services were under threat and all that stuff. And he said, no, 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 the, the church is not closing. The church is opening up in 10,000 other places. And he saw something they weren't seeing. And I think that's, that's the thing there is that, can we see what God is doing here? And actually maybe God is dispersing us. And I just ref refer to the book of Acts when persecution comes upon the Jerusalem church, not pleasant, not good, but, and you know, it spreads the gospel. The flame of the gospel is spread as the church is dispersed under persecution. Well, maybe, maybe it's similar. We may not persecuted, but you know, maybe we're being dispersed and we need to pay attention. It reminds me of just recently Forge actually hosted a webinar with a couple of people and I shall leave their names out of it. Uh, one of them is a really good friend of, of all of ours on this. And somebody had asked, hey, what do you see as the future of the church? And and one person gave kind of a PC answer and kind of was like, oh, you know, well, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And the other person said, I, I don't know if I believe in that, and basically said, we need the, non the adaptive ecclesiology and the church is going to disperse, but you're going to see people double down on what has always been and yep. what this person says is what Jesus is trying to kill. And <laughs> if you try to keep alive what Jesus is trying to kill, that's a zombie. <laughs> and I was like, wow, those are strong words. And, I, you know, it took a little while to kind of process that. But yeah, I think that that's what prompts a lot of what I think you're hearing is the opportunity. There's opportunity yeah. in this if you have an adaptive ecclesiology. Yeah. yeah. And if you can let go of your understanding, you know, you, you think you know what the church is. I mean, and like I said, if, you know, the, on the metrics of the New Testament and to the metrics of our churches, they're not the same. Not, I'm not saying it's not a church. God's people can express it myriad different forms don't we believe that in forge right there's you can you know it's but there's no one format of the church and then you know we can learn just uh, on the issue of um you know are we going to go back to normal i honestly don't think we will the reason is that the digital cat is out of the bag and there ain't no putting that cat back in the bag again and here's the thing is um, the way we've been doing church go to our kind of non-adaptive ecclesiology the way we've been doing church invites people to be very passive, consumerist, if you will. You know, they come to church and, you know, you've got to give a good show on Sundays and they come along. Now, okay, so now they don't have to do that no more. So now you've got, they're still consumers, they're not disciples per se. So you haven't really made disciples here. And they're staying at home. And guess what? They can flip the pancakes now. They've got not only, you know, your church service, but they can log on to how many? Maybe 50,000? And some of them are red hot kind of churches are spending a lot of money on their digital output. You're not going to compete. And they don't even have to pack the kids up no more. So I think you get some people back. I, th I think they will. The, the hardcore will come back. But the ones that were barely hanging in there, 
nah, it's too easy to stay at home. And, and okay, so so why not then leverage on that to say, well, okay, well, okay, so let's say, let's say, tell people to stay at home. And what if we began to say, you can be a little ecclesier on your street. We're going to do some training with you. It's not, you don't have to, you know, you're not running a church service. It's, it's 30, maybe 30 people down your street. Nice incarnational expression. And we will do our best to serve you and we'll network you with the others and we'll do training events and all that stuff. That's already there. You're in the new form, right? So it's a great opportunity to think of the threat if you're seeing it in terms of Sunday service or a great opportunity to see incarnational mission, every believer and agent of the king, all that kind of stuff comes into play at that point. I'm kind of curious, you know, as, as people think through this and even as, as someone who, who may be listening to, to this conversation, what barriers do you see that kind of present, present themselves to kind of slow this idea from really taking on and us really kind of turning the corner on this type of thinking to see movement really happen? Terry, I think the, um, the biggest one is actually the clergy themselves, or let me say the church leaders. I say the clergy because they're the, the classic insider the inside of it. Upton Sinclair said this, he said that it's impossible to get to a man to understand something when their salary depends on them not understanding it. And then you add to salary, identity, sense of self-worth, all that, throw that in. It's hard to get something to understand when our sense of worth comes from, from the previous model. So actually, leaders really are the biggest blockage here because I think they've got most to lose. In, in this scenario and have everything to gain in going back to normal if if that were possible. So I think that's an imagination. And the other, the, the pastoral side of this, I would say, is that most leaders, and let's stay with North America because we talk about that, most leaders in North America were, were trained for the other model, the one that was working before. They had no, they've got no training for what they're dealing with. Now, and I feel, I actually, I think it's, it's stressful, you know, like, I don't know what I'm doing here. And this is a brand new world now. And I can see how, you know, it, it can cause burnout. You know, I think it's, there's going to be a lot of burnout. It is already happening. But I, I don't know, you know, again, we've got to see that as God's, God's hand somewhere in that. And the leaders in China, it's interesting, the Chinese, you know, me in the forgotten ways, but the Chinese underground church, the church in China had been there for 2000 years. It goes back a long way back. And and, but it never flourished. I mean, it was basically, you know, substantial, 2 million people at the time of the revolution. I don't know what the population was, maybe about half a billion, I guess. But that's not, not huge in terms of population, but substantial. Big institution. And that's taken out. Under those conditions, the church discovers the resources of movement in itself, births a whole new movement and goes to scale. and grows to 120 million in the last kind of guess, educated guess you know, in 80 years. So they had the church for 2,000 years, and then in 80 years, it kind of goes off, off a wazoo. But you'd have to say, what the heck were the, were the leaders doing prior to that point in, in, in maintaining a model that was, you know, dependent, that God had to take them out and the church in order for the church to go to scale and do what it's meant to do? And you've got to ask questions about leadership there. So leaders are either bottlenecks or bottle openers. Yeah, so I, I love that. They're either a bottleneck or they're a bottle opener. I mean, what what are some practices that leaders can be committed to, to to ensure that they are more like a bottle opener than a bottleneck? Yeah, good question. I think one of the, the lowest hanging fruit, which I think 
that, that, that's there for, for, for change or for learning adaptivity is, is accessing the intelligence that is latent in God's people. And I actually think that's, that's, that's you know, an apest typology. Um, apest being the fivefold ministry given to the church in the ascension that she might be a, the church that thrives and is a body attached to the head, every part doing its thing, right? So I, I think of it now as like this is the innate capacities and intelligences of God's people. It's built into the church. So I think one of the things that they can do is, is recognize that it's already there. It's undeveloped. It's, but it's not, it's, it's, it is there. You just don't know what we're looking at. <laughs> so getting clarity on, on the fivefold is, is actually, actually critical. And the ones actually, the, the adaptive type would be the, the apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, for different reasons, by the way. But I would, I would suggest seeking to find them and help them do the problem solving with you. If you don't have it in yourself, God has already given you everything you need to get the job done. Just take a look. Look again. What, what would you guys say? Let me throw a question at you on that. I know it's you're interviewing me. but Well, I like what you said, and especially when it comes to APES. I just had lunch with a church planner today, and he actually uh, just recently, they decided to change their values. And one of their values that they've changed to is everybody has a role to play. You know, and it's, it is the intentional way of saying this is not just a pastor-led, this person is the end-all, be-all, which in the South is actually a pretty big fight. You know, in the South, the the, the pastor is the end-all, be-all. You, you've got all the answers. You're the one closer to God. You've been trained. It's actually your job. But he's saying, no, everybody has a role to play. And so, and even in my discussion with him, it was, it was, it was fun to be able to say, well, what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? And how do we do that? How do you give away a lot of these things to people who don't even know that they do have a role to play. And it's not just volunteering at the services. It's not just, hey, making sure the kids are taken care of or the lights are on. It is that everybody has a role to play. You all have the APES. Let's go figure it out. Yeah, one of the things that I, I was having a conversation with a, a former church planter who just actually uh, stepped out of their, their church plant that they'd been leading for the last, gosh, 18 years. And we were having this really kind of candid conversation. And it it, it it was one of those conversations that made me uncomfortable because the the kind of the topic we were talking about. And it was the, it was the idea that as we're coming out of quarantine and the, the last 18 months have just been such a, a kind of turn the basket over, so to speak, the idea of not knowing what's coming or, or what, 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 what it will all look like. And one of the things we were talking about was the idea of consumerism and how it's so prevalent in the church. And uh, you add that to an maybe an over-emphasizing uh, of place, uh, not place, but more like uh, environments where we create a Sunday space where we put all of our, our eggs in that basket. And so one of the things that we were talking about is the danger that we're, we're seeing, even with some of the, our shared friends who are church planters, of uh, he used the word accommodating that we are creating spaces and we're accommodating to people uh, to get them to come in. And, and at first, you know, I was like, oh, that's, that's the old, you know, we've had that conversation. It's, you're creating a consumeristic environment. And then he kind of pushed, pushed a little deeper past that. Of course, we're still doing that, but even pushing beyond that and kind of creating an accommodating spirituality, which that's something that I've just been really kind of wrestling with is, is are, are we creating a spirituality, a, a way of following Jesus that accommodates 
one's own preferences, where we we reduce the idea that Jesus is Lord and everything, all of the implications that that brings, and and looking at how do we redefine that and pushing back on, and you know, there's so much people say about orthodoxy and things like that, but I think there are some. I think there's some potential there that we're that needs to be sussed out and really have meaningful conversation around. Oh yeah, absolutely. Marshall McLuhan came up with the phrase of medium is a message. What he explained it like he's saying, like, you know, you invent your tools and then your tools reinvent you. They have a reciprocal effect on you. You create the church service and the church service recreates you. Uh, oh, think about this way. Let's get the um, um, Gutenberg Press, I mean, you know, this is his example. Printing press, radical kind of way of disseminating ideas that previously was just professional you know monks and clergy now was made available it created the whole modern world because linear type created linear thought it was rational you know and all that stuff it had a huge effect the inventor gutenberg wouldn't have known that when you think about smartphones how they've changed social media based on the smartphone and you can go on everything has a reciprocal effect so yeah we need to be very aware you create environments create environments but be smart about it create missional environments that have a missional effect so i think you know we need to be aware and be much more conscious of how tools can change things we should invent tools um, that that really do sorry about the dog um that really do uh, yeah, so I think that's uh, that's something to think about, isn't it, Terry? Al, thanks for thanks for that. I mean, I think that that's huge, and I think that's a lot. I know, uh, kind of the people listening to this, and especially clergy, the the paid leadership. You know, these are things that we always need to be wrestling with, and you know, I think it, I think it just makes us better. It's gonna it's gonna help us uh, prepare us to lead into this next this next season, and who knows what what kind of lays ahead of us. So. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, it's huge. What I say on that, bro, is that if we allow God's work in us at this point, we'll be way better on the other side. Yeah. Because God God really wants us to be the church that he designed us to be in the first place. So let's let's just, you know, we go back to our first question, what is God doing here? Okay, so let God have his way. And then just be as faithful as we can. Go to the instinctive level of church, discipleship. The basics, you know, go, go get down to instinct level, and 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 recover some of the things that we've lost. Yeah, I, I think I think that's fantastic, uh, and I know uh, even in in the, the church leaders that we get the privilege of partnering with and coaching and training, uh, I know that's that's the that's the desire is getting back to this the simple basics. And so, uh, Al, this is this has been so good. For before we let you go, uh, one of the things we've been doing this season uh, with all of our guests is we've just been doing what we're, we're calling five quick questions. It's just kind of a fire hose questions, just to kind of get a glimpse into what's going on in your life. And so, yeah. So let me hit you with those, those questions. The first one is, uh, which I think is probably the question if people have been listening all season. This is probably the one question people want to hear most from you is what have you been reading? Is there anything that you've been reading that's just really fantastic? Well, I've actually been reading, a, um, it's not one single thing, but you guys will know this already, but I've been reading a, a theologian called Hans Urs von Balthasar, a Swiss theologian, Catholic. Uh, I've been reading him now probably every day for seven years. Wow. And I'm still you know, stunned at the insight that I gained from it. So it's not just a single book, I mean, because any book you pick up from him, he's not easy to read and he's dense. Like every 
page is like a book. <laughs> That's what I love about it. It's because I'm dyslexic and uh, I, just, I read very slowly actually, but so I can read slowly but dense now. So it's wonderful. Uh, Baltazar is is just awesome. No, I mean there may be others as well, but yeah, that's awesome. I didn't know you were dyslexic. I'm dyslexic too, so we can be all right. Yeah. It's so, actually made me. Yeah, it's it, it makes you again talk about adaptive, right? Yeah. So what I do now is I have to. I can't just read anyone. I can't read any old poppy book because it just I don't have the time because I'm very slow reader. Yeah. So I pick the best. I find the very best in any category and I go with that. And it's been very good for me. That's awesome. A second question, uh, what have you been watching? Is there anything that you and Debs have been watching that that are interesting? Honestly, bro, uh, a little boring in that area. I'm just, you know, going through dead mind kind of stuff. I've been watching uh, Chicago PD. Okay. Uh, and binging out on that. Actually, it's quite a, started out not so good, but actually, I actually quite like it now. Nice. Uh, but no, nothing, uh, nothing too deep, not at the moment anyway. So that's it. Uh, question three, what is the funniest thing that's happened during quarantine over the last 18 months or something that's cool that uh, you guys have kind of experienced or done? Well, I would say that the little creature that is barking away here has <laughs> been a little cool side of things, although it's been a bit of a challenge. It's like having a kid, right? Yeah. We never had kids. No one warned us about this. But anyway, uh, yeah, so she's been a, a bit of fun, little Murphy. And yeah, I think it's a cool thing. And then uh, I'd love to hear question number four. What what is bringing you life right now? Is there anything that uh, for you and Debs that's just really life giving? Yeah, it's been a very difficult time generally. Um, I've you know coming through probably quite a depressing time to be honest. I'm not given to to depression, but I, I have to say that the last five five or so years have been really got to me. Just you know just seeing things in the church. But I would say that my prayer life has been just absolutely the life-saving, my budding, you know, time with Jesus, you know, which I do very, now do quite extensively every day. I get up very early to have as much time as I can. I'm saying as much time up to five hours. And it's, it's a certain way. Now I'm not saying I'm, you know, it's, but it's, 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 it's definitely a way of praying and it's just been very life-giving. So I would say that's, and that anyone can do, by the way. And then uh, the last question, uh, what is your favorite thing about Melbourne? Melbourne is a very cool city. It's, um, it's, it's, it, there's a thing about it. Uh, it's got more cafes per capita than any other city in the world. Oh, wow. And so it loves food. And, you know, it's not like mass produced. It's, these are mom and pop shows. And they all turn into little pubs and bars. At 10 o'clock, they switch out. Because you know, they, it's just a, it's a, it's, it's a cafe that turns into a bar, and it's just a, it's just a fantastic nightlife, and the art, art is great. It's a very vibey city, so I, I do like Melbourne. Well, Alan, thank you so much for taking the time to to be on the podcast, and make sure you give our love to Debs. Uh, we miss you guys, and you know, we, it sounds like maybe you're coming stateside in February, and so we can't wait to hang out and hug your neck and just spend some time with you. Likewise, guys. Very much so, likewise. My peeps. That's right. That's right. Well, thank you guys for listening. You can always contact uh, us at forgeamerica.com. You can catch us on our social, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we'd love to connect with you. If anything that you heard today just kind of strikes you, uh, you can you can uh, find out more about Alan and what he's got going on at alanhirsch.com. Uh, and then we'd love to hear from you. Uh, feel free to email us, uh, Alan, A-L-A, 
L-A-N at FordAmerica.com. I know how to spell your name, man. It's all right. I just I had a dyslexic moment. I thought I was going to flip letters. Uh, or Terry at uh, uh, FordAmerica.com. And so thank you guys for listening, and we will see you next time. Thank you.